Aren't you glad you were here this morning? I just think this morning has been special so far, and it's not over yet. So it's some of those Sundays we come together, and maybe it's just a, another Sunday, and those are also good, but sometimes uh, Sundays seem to have a little more special feel to it. And so this morning, I think we're going to take a little bit of a different tone this morning as we approach this message here this morning. Last Sunday, I know, was, was a bit different also, and, uh, but this morning... Um, as we think about closing out chapter 3, um, it's just a very basic, simple message this morning that I do trust that God will use to, to bless you. I want to read, uh, our focus is going to be verses 27 to verse 31, but I do want to start reading at the beginning of this section, just to put it all in context once more before you. And so I want to start reading at verse 21 uh, through the end of the chapter, through verse 31. And God's inspired and inerrant, sufficient word reads, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint, He let the sins previously committed go unpunished. For the demonstration, that is, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It has been excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Far from it. On the contrary, we establish the law. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now we ask, Lord, that your spirit would indeed lighten, enlighten our hearts Enlighten this text, open our hearts and our minds to receive the simple message from it. And we pray, Lord, that you would apply these verses, this understanding to each and every person. Lord, it is only you who knows what each and every one of us needs here this morning. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this here this morning, Answer the Question. Who doesn't like a good success story? We hear them all the time. A person comes to America, and they don't even qualify as poor because they are so poor. And yet through hard work and perseverance, they become successful and achieve the American dream. We hear stories of race struggles of parents and grandparents whose child has now grown up and holds a very influential office or a high position in a large public corporation. 
We hear stories of kids who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and now find themselves on the right side of the tracks and on the right side of society. It's the American dream. Who doesn't want to live the American dream? We are told to work hard and play your cards right, and everyone can have the American dream. Very true, is it not? Every single one of us knows those types of stories, and we ourselves, to one degree or another, have experienced that. We indeed have many opportunities before us, and if we make good decisions and work hard, we can indeed, all of us, achieve a certain level of success. Faith is often said to play a large role in many of these types of successful stories, though people point to their faith, and and because of my faith in God, I have been able to achieve what I have been able to achieve. It's also known as the Deuteronomistic view, especially of Deuteronomy chapter 28, the chapter of blessings and cursings. Obey Yahweh your God, and you will be blessed. Don't obey Yahweh your God, and you will not, or you will not be blessed. Yeah, in fact, you will be cursed. That is the, that's often the way that we live our life. We think that these things that we're doing, we're, we're living good because out of that then we expect these blessings. And, and sometimes we think that because I am not achieving or receiving the blessings that I would hope for, maybe I'm not living quite up to the standard that God has set for us. Now, I have a pretty strong dislike for many <laughs> movies that label themselves as Christian. In these movies, it's kind of like a country song that you play backwards, right? The storyline is pretty typical. You have a failing marriage. You have a failing business. You get right with God. You go to church. You get some form of faith. Your marriage comes back. Your business comes back. Everything turns around. It's the plot line for what's called, for many of what we have known or, or, or see as these Christian movies, right? It's the feel-good story. Who doesn't like a feel-good story? We all like these feel-good stories. That's what we want. As one person put it, all storylines follow this pattern. A battle to fight, a problem to solve, a woman to rescue. I love those movies. In fact, I like to put myself in the movie now, you do the same. I know you do, but, but I, I'm, I'll, I'll admit it this morning. It is I who won the battle. It is I who solved the problem. And it is indeed I who has rescued the woman. You know what is not a good movie? You want to completely destroy my insecurities? It's a battle I can't win. It's a problem I can't solve. And it's not even that I can't rescue the woman. I am the woman who needs rescued. (laughs) We like to think the Bible, God, gives us what we need to win the battle, to solve the problem. And he does. The Bible does. But maybe not necessarily the way that we think it does. Not the way a Christian movie 
maybe goes about it, but answers it in a way that we want to take a little bit of a look at here this morning. You see, the story, the, the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible tells us that we can't win the battle. It tells us that we can't solve the problem. And it tells us that we are indeed the ones who need rescued. Now, that's not a message that anyone wants to hear. But from Genesis, where it all goes south, to Revelation, to where it all evidently goes north, and in between those two points, it's all about story after story of example after example of people who could not solve their own problems, who could not win their own, who could not win their own battles, but it was only through God, and it was only because of the hand and the work of God that any battle was won, that any problem was solved. Now, we have spent the past three weeks unfolding the great doctrine of atonement. And Paul could have just left it there with verse 26. He could have just stopped there. Verses 21 to 26 was a great climax in his turning point in his letter to the Christians who are in Rome. He could have just stopped right there with the verse we ended with last week, but he doesn't. Paul circles back to something that he has started all the way back in the beginning of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, before he got on this tangent, before that, almost in his introduction to the letter, in verse 16 and 17, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Two its that are in these two verses that we need to just state the obvious, where Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, that, 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 that's, that's the topic that Paul is speaking about right here. That's our emphasis. That's our focus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Verse 17, he's got four, guard, carries forward what was just said. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from what? From faith to faith, it's the, it's the, it's, this is the verse that completely transformed the legalistic monk Martin Luther and completely flipped his world upside down. He thought the near miss of the lightning strike was bad. <laughs> Trying to live up to God's law was an impossible thing that he had discovered. Also, over the past three Sundays, I think all three Sundays, I had referred to Job. Job chapter 9, verse 1, where Job asked the question that we must answer. How can a person be in the right with God? How can a person be in the right with God? We need to, we need to understand first that Job understands that he's not in the right with God. And what Job is implying here that sometimes we miss, is, and that is that to say that how can a person be right with God means that a person is not right with God, who's outside of God. And Paul underst- or, or Job understands that, and he is now going to work through that. And so how you answer for us, people, for us, how we answer, how you answer this question is so important to your faith. Answer this question correctly. 
and you can face any battle, and you can face any problem. Answer this question incorrectly, and you will be destroyed by your battle and by your problems. I want to look at a little bit of the story of Job. We don't need to hide from what the Bible tells us. And I'm not going to do that this morning as we look at the life of Job just briefly. In Job chapter 1, I call it scene 1, if you will. In scene 1, verse 1, it starts out like this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was four things that, we, that, that, that is, is highlighted for the life of Job. He was blameless, he was upright, he was God-fearing, and he turned away from evil. That was Job. Jump down a few verses to verse 8. Actually, I don't like verse 8. Let's go to verse 9. Well, I have to read verse 8. Yahweh said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered him? He is upright. He is blameless. He stands before me. He has a fear of God within him. He turns his back on evil. Have you considered him? Satan says, yeah, Yahweh, I I have considered him. But you have a fence built around his life. You have a protection built around Job. I don't even bother with Job anymore. But you what, God? Remove your hand from Job, and he will curse you. Yahweh says, okay, Satan, go ahead. Just don't touch his body. Do whatever you want. Don't touch his body. Job loses everything. You know the story. Job loses everything. And yet, what does he do? Despite all this, verse 22, Job did not sin. Now, get this. Job did not sin nor blame God. Do you see what just happened to Job? And yet he said, I will not blame God. Scene two. Satan and Yahweh had this encounter again. Yahweh says, hey, hey there, buddy. Have you noticed Job? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And sure, you know, a man can deal with a lot of things in chapter two of Job. Man can deal with a lot of things and he may lose everything. But he's okay. Take away his health. Touch his body. And he will indeed curse you and die. (laughs) That's what his wife told him to do. (laughs) That's what he will do. God says, all right. All right, Satan, go ahead. Do whatever you like. But don't kill him. (laughs) Don't completely destroy the man. Completely took his health from him everything about him, in essence, lost his wife. And Job says to his wife, and she says, how, how can you just curse God and die, Job? Job's response, should we actually accept? Should we actually accept good from God, but not adversity? So we're supposed to accept all these good things in our life. Praise God. But when bad happens to us, 
Are we going to then curse God? Have you thought about that? There's a lot of people, they just want to take this story of Job and say it's hyperbola, that it's not something that actually happened, that it's just this grand example, this hyperbola. You know what that is, right? So this story that's told in the extreme to make the point. Bible doesn't tell us in any way, give us any sense at all that this wasn't an actual and a real story. Yet how many times when something doesn't go the way that I want it, maybe again, maybe it's just me, but life doesn't go the way that I want it. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do I need to do? Maybe we're, maybe we're that way. What do I need to do, God, to get back in favor with you, to get back to the blessings portion of Deuteronomy chapter 28? I must do something. I must need to be doing something. How did Job answer this question? How does a man stand in the right with God? He doesn't answer it directly. But yet he says in the 13th chapter of Job, though he slay me, though God slay me, I will hope in him. God can take my very life. God can take all my possessions, all my health, everything from me. Yet I will hope in him. (laughs) What an astonishing confession, isn't it? How could Job say that? Because he answered his own question about God. Or let me rephrase that. Because he answered his own question about who God is. He answered it correctly. A person cannot be in the right with God. You cannot solve that problem on your own. You cannot win that battle on your own. Job understood And Job knew who God was. I'm from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I mean, I got tired of it. I know you did too, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Paul, he he took his good old time telling me what a bad person I am, didn't he? (laughs) Provided more than enough evidence to convict me of the guilt and the human condition that I find myself in. And yet in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, came those two glorious words. Remember what they were? But now, (laughs) Paul painted this horrible picture on who I am as a person, but he didn't leave me there. He didn't leave me there. He said, but now, the gospel, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, has been revealed being a witness to the law and the prophets. Verse 24, being justified by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And so today, as we finish chapter 3, as we finish chapter 3, Paul has three more applications for our consideration as to why God is both the just and the justifier. And so we're going to look at these three quickly. 
In verses 27 to 28, Paul is telling us that there is absolutely no room for boasting. No room for boasting. Second, in verses 29 to 30, he says there is absolutely no distinctions among people. No distinctions among people. And then third, in verse 31, Paul says we don't nullify the law. We actually establish, or we could say we fulfill the law. In verses 27 to 28, Paul starts out with, where then? He just laid out this beautiful picture of the gospel. We spent lots of time last week on that little word propitiation. In verse 27, where then is boasting? I mean, it's a ridiculous question, isn't it? The obvious question is there is, or the obvious answer is there is no boasting. Paul spent three chapters telling us, who we are, a few verses telling us who God is and what he has done for us, and then he asked the question, where then is boasting? Clearly, Paul was laying out the doctrine of atonement, and in that context and in that light, he's like, really? You're going to boast? Really? I want to go to um, Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And again, nothing new for you here this morning. But in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we've got this this parable. We've got this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus is telling this story. And we know it's a parable because it tells us it's a parable. That Jesus said this to some people who trusted in themselves that they are righteous, that they were righteous, and they view others in contempt. We don't know anybody like that. You know, but they viewed themselves as righteous. I certainly don't view, this isn't me. And Jesus told the story about these two men that went up to the temple to pray. They came to church on Sunday morning to worship. Two different people with two different attitudes. The Pharisee, he came in and he began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I may hoard my resources and share them with nobody, but I'm not a swindler. I may work so hard that my family sacrifices because I'm gone all the time, but I'm no swindler. He says, look at that other guy. That guy's not Me? What else does he say in verse 9? Verse 11. I'm not crooked. I'm not not crooked. He says, I'm, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. Look, I'm not, he says, look, I'm not like that guy. I'm not an adulterer. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my husband. I don't have sex outside of marriage. Oh, once in a while I may look at a little porn or something, but yeah, whatever. I'm not like that guy. Oh, I don't do some of those things. I fast. I fast twice a week. Sure, the other days of the week I may hoard all the food and whatever, right? Sure, I may do some of those things. 
But the tax collector, look at this guy, standing some distance away, he wasn't even willing to raise his eyes towards heaven, but was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, which one of those two do you think went away justified? He doesn't answer the question because the question's pretty obvious. I'm afraid that the average Christian today, me, is more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. I'm afraid that too many times I confuse the American dream with my American Christianity. I'm afraid that I confuse, I work hard, I'm successful, I have the American dream, God, I'm working hard, I'm doing all the right things. Work hard to be saved. I'm afraid that's the message that too many of us believe. Verse 28 of our text. Paul says, no. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works. We're justified by faith, no works at all. You can hear all the Christian community, not this one, saying amen to that, right? I am justified by faith. It has nothing to do with my works. And yet as you press in to see what they really believe, I'm not so sure that we don't get caught up in very subtle ways with works. As we press into the, to what we say, how we are saved, works, faith, we will often find a big, fat, but see, Paul had this problem. He could have. He says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is nothing for me to write to you this same message again because it's a safeguard for you. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. All three of these are description words, are descriptive words for the Christian. Even if you want to get even more pointed for the teacher, for the preacher. Paul saying, beware of those guys. Paul says, for we, we are the true faith who worship, who are circumcised in the heart, not in the flesh. Paul says, I could take pride in Jesus. I myself could boast. I had the right beginning. I had the right nation. I had the right tribe. I had the right ethnicity. Circumcised on the eighth day from the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the faith. As to the church, the righteousness which is in the law is found blameless. But Paul says, I count all this stuff as nonsense. All this stuff as loss, if I could count you. In fact, I call it all 
as rubbish. Scubala. You can ask Brad what that word means. I count it all as garbage, as trash, as rubbish. If I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but through faith in Christ. See, there's two extremes, I think. There always is two extremes, the ditch on each side of the road, right? We have these two types of faith. There's a faith that is about works, and there's a faith that's about believe, right? So the faith about works, we understand. It's legalism, right? We get it. Have your hair the... Uh, I won't go to group therapy anymore. I need to move on, as Cheryl tells me. But my childhood was all about legalism. We have that, and we still can have it today. Legalism to a certain way that it's about the works that I do. That's what saves me. There's that, though we wouldn't necessarily say that, but we often attach that with it, and then there's the very legalistic side. We get that. But that's not so much of my concern this morning because I think we get that. My concern is this. Those who say they have a faith of believe. Now, what are you saying? Of course we have to believe. No, no, no. The, the person who outside of them claiming they believe there's nothing in their life that would give you an idea, an inclination that they are at all a follower of Jesus outside of them saying they are a believer. That has become their works. Do you see that? In the essence of throwing aside all evidence of works, they have gone to completely the other side. Nothing, it's antinomianism against the law. There's no rules, nothing that matters. I'm a believer. You see it all over socials, right? All these nice little Christianese posts. And yet nothing in the person's life models Jesus. That, my friends, is works. We have an idea with some camps, some circles that say, if you have enough faith, you can be healed from whatever disease you have. You just have to have enough faith. When I encounter that, what I tell them is, no, you don't have a faith in God. You have a faith in your faith. The same is true for those who want to say that, no, I have faith, I believe. No, 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 that's not salvation. That's a salvation by your own faith, by your own works. Do you see the subtlety of that? Do you see that? <laughs> now, the Minion. The one who says they get to choose, that's works. That's works. Boasting is excluded. I have made the wise decision. I have made the right choice. These other folks, they chose unwisely. That's a form of works. Do you get it? Do you see what Paul is saying? There's absolutely no boasting, and we have these subtle ways. 
that we throw out the gospel because we think there's something I must do. Oh, James, literally, go to the letter you have written. I didn't write that, actually. <clears throat> go to the letter of James in the Bible. I, no, that's boasting. Go to the letter, and you go there, and you say, yeah, but in James chapter 2, 3, 3, uh, towards maybe verse 18, we say, yeah, but James is saying, and Paul are arguing, they have a differing idea. No, no, they got the same problem. It's just a different angle at it. It's the two extremes. Show me your faith without works. Show me your faith by just saying you believe. And I'll show you my faith by the things that I do. That trips up a lot of people. But, but what, what James is, the, 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 the situation he has is that one extreme that I think many of us fall into, and that is this idea that I'm a believer of Jesus, period, done, over, nothing else. James says, look, look you can say whatever you want, but nothing in your life models what you say you believe. Nothing. That's, that's James in a nutshell. Paul has the opposite problem. See, Paul is dealing with the Amish people or Catholic people or the conservative Mennonite people or any other legalistic organization or group of people out there who say that, no, I have to work for my salvation, James. Paul is saying, no, you don't. You see, you see it's the same problem. They're, they agree with each other. There's no, there's no conflict there. It's just dealing with two different groups of people. We need to be that middle group. How do we end up in that middle group, right? That's what we want to focus on. That's what we want. James is all about denying and speaking against cheap grace. Paul is all about denying and speaking against legalism. Jeremiah tells us, let no one boast except boast in the Lord. And yet we have these subtle ways in which we at times do boast. There's absolutely no boasting. It's all totally excluded. Then he also says there's no distinctions. There's only one God. There's only, there's only 14, 6, right? I say it all the time. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek and ethnicity battles of the biblical times that they had. In fact, some today still want to say that, that there's distinctions between groups of people. There's not. There's no longer any distinction. Ephesians tells us that for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace, who made both groups into one. Seems pretty simple to me. He made both groups into one and broke down the, the barrier of the dividing wall between these two groups because these two groups are now one. Galatians tells us there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's, there's no woman. There's no man. They're all one. We're all the same in Christ. Obviously, there's distinctions among us when it comes to some of those biological things. But they're, they're, they're all one. There's, one's not better than the other. That's what he's saying. It's a good thing to grow a Christian home. It's a good thing to go to a Christian school. Do they have advantages? Yes. Great advantages there. But not when it comes to your standing in the eyes of God. Just because you went to a Christian school, just because you went to a Christian church, doesn't mean that you have the right standing before the eyes of God. It's so easy for us to 
to find this freedom that we have in Christ. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, I love Peter. I mean, he's such a knucklehead, you know, and that's why I like him so much because I'm the same. And, and Peter gets it with Cornelius. There's no way I'm eating oysters. God says, ah, actually, oysters, okay, they're probably not the best thing to eat in the world, but, but they're okay to eat. And he goes to Cornelius, a Gentile, the first Gentile that the Holy Spirit fell on. Paul had, or Peter had his, his legalism completely taken away from him, right? Nope. Galatians chapter 2. People came from Rome. People came from Jerusalem. People came from the denominational headquarters. And Peter said, oh, I can't hang out with these Gentiles anymore because some of these people are going to see how I'm going to act. And, and Paul had to call them out to his face, call them out publicly. Some of us have a problem with that sometimes, but why do you think Paul had to do that? Because Peter was acting publicly, and so Paul needed to also correct Peter publicly. He was tripping up people, and he needed to clarify some of those things. So we can all be guilty of having some of these distinctions at times, not totally and completely abolished. But we establish the law. It's not our, it's not our faith, it's the faith. It's the message of faith. Jesus said, I did not come to fulfill the law, but I came or to, to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And Jesus fulfilled it in what way? We went over that the past couple Sundays in every way that we could not. Jesus fulfilled and establish the law. Now, I said this was going to be a simple message this morning. I thought it would be short, too. No snickering. Um, but this is what I want you to hear this morning. And this is what I want you to take with you this morning. You have it there. I think I put it in the outline. Um, but you have done nothing to earn your salvation. And you can do nothing to lose your salvation. Yeah, but no, 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 It's such a simple message for you this morning. You have done nothing to earn your salvation, and you can do nothing to lose your salvation. Yeah, but no, 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 no yeah, buts this morning. You have done nothing to earn your salvation, and you can do nothing to lose your salvation. Let those words soak in. I don't know where you're at. I know where I'm at often. I know that often if, if I had any way to lose my salvation, boy, I'd lose it every day probably. I can beat myself up. I can say, how can I get back right with God? No, those, just, just put all that aside. Listen, listen, it's me. We'll get to doctrine soon enough. You know that. But for just this morning, just, just that's it. You can do nothing to lose your salvation because you've done nothing to earn your salvation. Let that soak in and take that with you. I don't know what last week was like. I don't know what you're going to run into this week and what mistakes you're going to make this week. But go easy on yourself. Be kind. Show yourself some grace and mercy because you've done nothing to earn your standing before God. And that standing that you have before God, the Bible tells us over and over and over that there's nothing you can do 
to lose that standing that you have before your heavenly Father. Father, we thank you this morning. for such a simple message. Father, I don't know, but actually, I kind of actually do. I'm mostly a Pharisee versus a tax collector. And Lord, time and time and time again, you invite me. Come here, James. Come here, boy. Sit at my feet. Go ahead. Cry it out. Yell, beat up on yourself. I'm still here. When you're done beating up on yourself, I'll still be here. Father, I pray. I don't know, maybe it doesn't resonate with anybody, but I pray, Lord, that that heaviness, that guilt, that baggage that we may have, that we lay that, we just let it go. And the legalism of works by the easy believism and Nothing else matters, Lord. We'll deal with that another time. But for this morning, Lord, I pray that you will lift every burden, lighten every heart, fill every space, dark corner with grace and with mercy. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.